0: Coming up on episode 239 of Wheel Bearings, we've got a bunch of travel this week. So this one is a bunch of segments that we've previously recorded, but not yet released to the main feed, including uh, discussion of the Volvo C40, uh, some Hyundai and Ford executives, and more. Coming up next. Did you know you can support Wheel Bearings directly? Head to Patreon.com/WheelBearingsMedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you, and exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com/wheelbearingsmedia. This is episode 239 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam Labuel Samage from Guidehouse Insights. And Roberto and Nicole are both traveling this weekend, and we just could not uh, get aligned to record a whole new show. But uh, I do have a whole bunch of content that you haven't heard before that uh, has been recorded over the last, uh, some of it over the last week, and some of it uh, over the last month and it's all coming up right now we're going to start off with nicole and i we were uh, talking about the volvo c40 we were both out in palm springs california this week to uh, drive the new c40 as well as the new uh, updated 2022 version of the xc60 t8 uh, recharge plug-in hybrid uh, which now has uh, um, almost double the uh, electric driving range you had before—it's now up to 35 miles. Uh, but uh, this discussion is just about the C40, uh, so let's start off with that.
1: All right, Nicole,
0: we're here at Palm Springs. Mm-hmm. Hummingbirds around, flitting around us here it in the garden. Smells like flowers. Yeah. Uh, we just drove the Volvo C40, yeah. um, Volvo's first—not purpose-built, but first electric-only model yeah. that to the lineup. What'd you
1: think?
2: Um, overall, I liked it. I would, I would give it a thumbs up. I saw it. Um, it has a very Volvo interior where it's luxury, but it's not that flashy, in-your-face kind it's of thing. not ostentatious. It is not ostentatious. It's like, yeah, I'm a luxury car, but I don't need to shout about it. So it's, it's it got that feel. I mean, it feels like a Volvo in, in good ways. Yeah. Um, I enjoy driving it. I think the one-pedal driving in this is fantastic.
0: I think they did do a great job on that. I think for for the listeners, for those that not familiar with the C40, it's basically an XC40 with a different roofline.
1: Mm-hmm, pretty uh, much. They squish the
0: back. Sort, sort <laughs> of, sort of coopy style yep. roofline. You know, kind of, kind of as if you mashed up an uh, an XC40 and uh, a BMW X6. Okay. That feels accurate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh yeah, and, and it's got the same powertrain that's in the X C forty recharge, which mm-hmm. is also a battery electric. Yep. And the Polestar two. Yes. So four hundred and two horsepower, um four hundred and some foot pounds of torque, I can't remember Here's the exact You're the number, number guy, Sam. I'm not gonna I don't know, know that number I, off the top I, I of my
2: head. I know it, one it, number, I know the range. Two hundred and twenty six yeah. miles of range EPA yeah, rated. That's,
0: that that is the one thing that is Maybe a little, it's going to be a little bit disappointing to some people.
2: I think people, you know, you want that, you want to see that 300, you want to see a crazy amount of range, but truly the reality of it is, is that you don't need that kind of range for 99% of what you drive. Yeah, Mm -hmm. if you're going on a road trip, you need it. How many road trips do you take in a year? You know, it's not.
0: Me personally, not that many anymore.
2: See, so so it's not like your your everyday. Most people aren't going to drive more than 220. We're not a talking day.
0: Mazda MX-30 kind of right. range. Right. See, here. that's yeah. a
2: that's a range where I like had a panic attack on the drive program because yeah. I missed an exit and I thought, oh my gosh, how many like how many miles do I have before I'm going to run out of miles? Now, ah! like I sort of panicked. But you don't with this. I mean, we drove all day long. And still came back, you know, with tons of miles, miles still left in the car, and we roamed all over the place in Palm Springs, and they had us look at houses and <laughs> stuff. So we really did roam around in Palm mm-hmm. Springs, and and,
0: and the, the morning part of the drive was driving up into the mountains. Yes. Yeah, you know, and then of course, you know, we recovered some of that energy coming Suddenly back coming down. Coming
2: back, yes. Um, I liked. It. I, I. So uh, positive. I like it. I. You know, it's it's the the I don't know weird different things. There's one trim, so mm-hmm. that's it. Get your yep. one trim.
0: $59,000 59 roughly.
2: Fifty nine for that one trim. I don't even know that there's really any options you can add to it. No, there's not. I think, like, other than you, know, you can put, like, mud flaps on it and that kind of weird yeah, stuff. Yeah, I think but there, there might no be some
0: dealer-installed accessories. Yeah, but there's yet.
2: nothing like they have all this this big options list. And inside you have, and I think I got this right, the seats are, like, the insert on the seat is black, no matter which one you get. But there's uh, the carpet color, like, changes. Yeah. You can get a bl- like, what are they called? It's not black. It's charcoal? Yeah. Charcoal or this really funky blue that matches the one blue exterior yeah. that looks really good.
0: It, it's a it's a good it's a good color. Yeah. And and that you know that blue the blue trim on the inside you know kind of breaks it up because it is a little dark in there. Yeah,
2: it is. But and the blue brightens things. I mean, because I, they had we all drove the blue ones. We mm-hmm. were all little clones of each other yeah. today. But they had at the lunch stop they had a silver one that had the fully black interior. Mm-hmm. And when you open that one up, it's like, yeah, it feels a little dark in here. It yeah. feels a little dark. So so getting the blue does definitely make it feel a little bit more open and a little bit brighter. I think I would get the blue.
0: Yeah. So you know if you've driven the XC40 before, and we, we both have. Yeah. You know this this is very familiar. Mm-hmm. You know I mean it is for all intents and purposes an XC40 with a fastback roofline on it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You know, and but that that roofline, there is one minor drawback to that. Actually, you know that even though it's you know they've, they've sloped back the roofline. You don't really give up any headroom in the back seat because that one trim option you mentioned is, you know, includes a standard all glass roof. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think uh, the designer said that gives you back about 35 millimeters, so about an inch and a half okay. of headroom because Did you, you don't feel have like the it headliner.
2: In the back? I didn't feel yeah. like it was tight, but I didn't feel like it was. Roomy, roomy.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was was more than adequate. You know, I'm five eleven. I set the seat, the the driver's seat. And you could sit back there, and it
2: was fine. And I sat back there. I had plenty
0: of leg room, plenty of head room. So, so no problem at all. All right. Um, you know, and it was fine for me. I mean, you know, if you're six foot four, six foot five, then you're in trouble. You're probably gonna have a little bit of a squeeze back there. So, if you're a
2: basketball player, this might not be the best car for you. Or Roberto Baldwin, or Roberto. Roberto's never gonna be able to get into this car. He's just gonna have to fold like a pretzel to sit in. Well, he he has driven it.
0: I mean, he he'll be fine in the front. He drove
2: it in Sweden. Yeah it back in, in
0: october I october? think. october yeah. yeah um but um uh you know the there the, there is one drawback though from from that uh that design which is rear visibility or the yeah. almost complete absence of it
2: a hundred percent when you look through it and when you look at that back window it doesn't look that compromised from the outside but once you're sitting in the car that that little glance you do into the rearview mirror isn't a glance you're kind of like almost sort of bending yeah, down a little yeah, bit and trying to see. A little male slot to look yeah, through. Yeah, because and you feel like you have to stare at it for a second because you have such a narrow field of vision. You th- did I actually see? Have I seen as high and as low as I want? It's it's not good. It's, yeah. it, that's that's a major drawback.
0: Yeah. So you've got a, a very very shallow vertical space, mm-hmm. and then it's also compressed on the sides by the yeah. rear seat headrests. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the one thing I told you know Volvo that they they really need to. Add to this vehicle is a camera mirror system, so you can actually yeah, so that get you can just visibility. sort of see through everything. Yeah, yeah,
2: that would make it. That would actually fix the entire problem if you just had that, because right now it's too narrow. I keep thinking about you know like in the winter time when you're driving or when you're ra- it's raining and you glance back. If there's at the least a little bit of snow that collects on the back of that, suddenly it's like I don't have any rear view at all. Awesome. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, but other than that, I mean, it, it looks it looks really good, and it, you know, it, it actually looks better than I expected based on having seen the photos before. Yeah. I hadn't seen one. In in person up until today yeah I, and I haven't
2: seen one either until today and it's funny it doesn't really look i mean in, in pictures it looks fine it looks fine yeah. it looks okay it doesn't look bad but you're like okay fine you know
0: but it's got th- a nice chunky wide stance to yeah. it you know it looks fairly athletic
2: it's really a good looking car yeah. and i do and really though the stellar the thing that makes us different if you're looking at, for me anyway if you're looking at other sort of luxury the evs you're looking at this kind of thing is that that interior it's just mm-hmm. really good and again it's not that it's flat like cause there's no leather that's one of the big things there's absolutely no leather in the interior it's just synthetic and um, you know man-made materials they have a leather-like kind of thing there's like,
0: a lot a lot of recycled materials. Yep. a lot of recycled PET so uh, there's, no, there's no
2: there's no like super expensive full-grain perforated NAP, napa leather yeah. option or, but or
0: y- open for wood yeah
2: all that stuff but yet still it feels really It feels the materials feel good on your hand mm. and they look good and it creates this really rich, warm, inviting experience for passengers. I thought that, you know, not every EV does that. Some of them actually feel, even when they're not cheap, per se, they have, it's like, well, we're going to use plastic everywhere, and it's light, and it's, you know, and they're like, I don't, eh, it feels cheap. This yeah. this felt like a luxury car, even with the absence of leather, which is, sort and like real wood, which is sort of a hallmark mm-hmm. of luxury cars.
0: Yeah, and, you know, 400 horsepower and 450-some foot-pounds of torque. It goes. It's, it's got... You know, plenty of acceleration. Yeah. Uh, you know, zero to 60s, like a little over four seconds. Yep. So, uh, it's, it's, so it's quick.
2: It's not. You don't feel any sense of of it not being able to get out of its own way. It definitely mm-hmm. moves. It's not like a super sporty vibe in terms of handling and like it's not like driving the Mustang Mach-E. That's, right. They're very different. The yeah. driving characteristics very different. Like you think, oh, our EV is really that different. Oh yeah, the Mustang Mach-E feels like a performance sporty. EV. This feels, more, feels like more like a Mustang. It feels more like a Mustang as it should. <laughs> and this feels more like a nice, pleasant highway cruiser. You wouldn't mind taking a road trip in this. It's comfy. So very different vibe.
0: And, and, you know, driving up into the mountains up, you know, from Palm Springs up to, uh, Coachella Valley, uh, yep. Vista, uh, point and beyond, you know, I mean, it's a tight winding it mountain is. road, you know, going up uphill and then back downhill, you know, so it really shows off the handling capabilities of this thing. It's feels really stable, mm-hmm. um, you know, no body roll. No, it handles well.
2: It has a, a, a not an overly huge amount, but it does have that, that road noise you can feel a little bit of the tire yeah. which is an, it, Well, you know, and,
0: you know, it's got big big wheels and tires exactly, on it. Um, exactly, So, you, you know, you're going to get some of that. That's that's going to be inherent. And because you don't have the powertrain noise, you know. You to, no, yeah, that's I think you notice it more. Because I
2: was listening to, we had this one section where the pavement was kind of pebbly and rough mm-hmm. a little bit. And that's where I really noticed it. And I'm like, yeah, but if I was driving a car with a gas engine purring away under the hood, would I even notice this tire noise? Is it just because it's so darn quiet the rest of the time that you get that little bit of uneven pavement and suddenly, oh my gosh, it's loud? Only because it's not competing with anything else now. And, and this
0: is the challenge that designers and engineers are going to have with with EVs. And I mean, they've they've had this problem with uh, hybrids as well for you know years, for many years now. Mm-hmm. You know, because you don't have you, now you've taken away some of those other noises that we're used to hearing in a car. Right. All of a sudden, you know, these other things that you never noticed before start to pop up.
2: Suddenly they seem loud, even yeah. if they're not any louder than the car you drove five years because ago. Because it's the only thing you're but hearing. But it's all you hear. So it's like, it's like when there's something squeaking. You know, you're like, what is that squeak? What is that noise? Suddenly it's so loud because it's what your brain focuses on.
0: But to, to the credit, to, at least in my car, there was no squeaks. There or were routes. no
2: squeaks. No. no. Everything, no. Yeah. Not that the solid. car was squeaking. Just that, yeah. So yeah. no, the car was very solid. It felt very well put together. It felt... You know, it's almost $60,000. It felt like an almost $60,000 car yeah. in every way. I really, I liked it. I liked it a lot. Uh,
0: now, you mentioned the, the regenerative braking earlier. Yes. Um, you know, one of the things that they've done uh, in this one, you know, they have the one pedal mode, but it uh, turning that on and off is in the, the touchscreen interface. Mm-hmm. So you've got to go into the settings, and it's only, like, uh, I think one or two levels down. Yeah. And it's just one tap, you know, to, to turn it off. But when it's on, you know, it's... I thought it was really smooth. You know, very intuitive. You very quickly get used to, you know, what it takes to modulate the the one the accelerator yeah. to get just the right amount of braking force, and you know, the, the transition you know is very very linear, very you know very predictable.
2: Yeah, I always say that learning how to drive, or just not learning, just trying any vehicle with one-pedal driving, it's a bit like getting behind the wheel of a car with a manual transmission that you've never driven before. There's that brief period of time where you're trying to figure out the pressure, the exact right spot on the clutch before it releases. So you have a couple times where you pop it too soon, you pop it too late, you know, and once you get it, you got it. But it takes a few seconds, you're like, okay, that's where it is on this particular car. It's kind of like that with doing one-pedal driving, like where, how hard do I need to... This one was really easy. It was very quick and it's very well modulated, like you said, so that it doesn't take a long time. You feel like there's very few moments where you, you don't have it yet and you're stopping a little harsher than and, you mean to.
0: And it'll, it'll bring the car, you know, to a full stop. Yeah. Uh, in fact, on the, the last leg here after lunch when we were doing the little architecture tour yes, architecture of tour. Uh, Palm Springs, you know, we had, you know, a bunch of stops and it was around town. Yeah. Um, you know, so there was a lot of stopping. I only touched the brake pedal once that whole time.
2: Yeah, you did. It was, and we, and that's really like we're on little side roads where you're kind of pausing and taking a right and taking a left. So you're constantly would have been on and off the brake had yeah. you been driving like normal. But you really need to. It slowed down, and you know these are roads where none of we don't know what's coming. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like you're used to how far you're going to have to go. We don't know where the end of it. You know, where we're stopping, where we're turning. It was still really easy to modulate that so that you didn't feel like you were having to give up and like, oh no, wait, I gotta hit the, I gotta hit the brake or we're gonna be in trouble here. Yeah. <laughs>
0: the 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 one thing you know talking to a couple of other people that was a concern that was raised you know is that the ride quality um you know around here the roads are mostly pretty smooth yeah you know, some that you know are a little are a little more coarse so you get some of the road noise but mm-hmm. but no you know none of the kinds of potholes that we're used to in michigan and new hampshire right and so i'll be curious to to try this thing out um back home you know and and see how it you know how it feels because Volvos sometimes can be a little on the stiff side they in can. terms of suspension. Yeah. Uh, so the ride, you know, they're not they're not always the most plush riding cars. Yeah. But so it'll um, be interesting to yeah. see. At
2: some point, we should get a, our hands on it you know, yeah. on our home turf, and then we you can thrash it through uh, some Michigan roads. I can take it on some New Hampshire's excuse for roads, and we can see how it does on on really rougher, yeah, not happy California highways.
0: Yeah. The the first the first boatloads of C40s are being unloaded now. They should be in. In Volvo dealers uh, over the next few weeks, um, but
2: they're not technically like in dealers because you have to order it online.
0: Well, so yeah, they're, they're so arriving. They, if they've you been doing. It. They've been doing pre-orders for a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know they will be arriving at dealers for delivery to customers yeah. that already pre ordered yes. them. Yes,
2: otherwise you have to go online and order it. That's, yeah, that's well, going to yeah, be the mode, yeah. right?
0: Yep, that's that's the plan. Is, is primarily online uh, ordering, and you can also do the the Care by Volvo program. So yeah. the the subscription program where uh, you you have a flat monthly fee that includes the, the lease price for the car, insurance, all service and maintenance.
2: All the stuff.
0: And, and every 12 months, you can change it up for something else. Yeah. Change, change it it's to a different a car.
2: kind of thing if you have the money because, you know, if yeah. the pricing works out for you and you can afford it, kind of a neat way to get a new car every 12 months. Yeah.
0: And, you know, it, obviously, you know, you've got to do some comparison shopping with, right. you know, your insurance rates. Um, to see you know see how that all works out, but you know it, it can be worth it. I mean it's, it's basically just a a different a new variation on a lease. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, it's still, it's still yeah. an option, different option for people. Yeah. So so we both liked it.
2: We both liked it. I would give it. I would give a thumbs up. All right. Yeah.
0: Great. Well, um, since probably won't see you again for a couple more weeks. Yeah. Um, you're going to be traveling. I have lots to travel.
2: I'm all over the place. Right. Mazda and Jeep and. And other stuff, all sorts of stuff.
0: All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Okay, bye. Bye. Next up, I've got a conversation with Anders Gustafson, the head of Volvo Cars for the Americas, uh, talking about what's going on with Volvo and the future of the brand. Anders Gustafson, CEO of Volvo Cars North America. Um, Volvo has made a lot of news over the last year in a variety of areas, uh, particularly around electrification. Um, the the target for the company, I believe, is to go completely electric, fully fully battery or fully electric by 2030, right? Yes. And is that is that global, or is, is that, so does that include North America, or is that just for Europe initially, and maybe a little longer time frame for some other regions? No, it's global. Okay, um, so one, you know, one of the big challenges for for every automaker um, with making the shift to electric, of course, is batteries. Supply of batteries. Obviously, today there's nowhere near enough capacity, batteries, raw materials, to produce to go fully electric. Even if we wanted to just stop building ICES today, um, Volvo has announced a joint venture with Northvolt. Got uh, a plant going up uh, near Gothenburg. Uh, beyond that, um, do, do you anticipate Volvo adding battery production in other regions, like here in North America, where I think you're planning to build EVs in South Carolina?
1: Yeah, we start to build our and 90 a new x 90 in Charleston. It's, it's really just around the corner. Hmm. So uh, I would say with the scale of that operation, uh, we probably need a solution in the in, in U.S. And, and, and probably is probably... I could use a better, better word for it, but but I don't have the date and the time for it. Okay. Uh, and also it's it's based on the overall logistics on, on batteries. We have our plants in Europe, they are the, by far the biggest one, uh, and then the Charleston plant will reach you know, 150,000, 160,000 units, and then it's, it's, it's easier to calculate to have your own structure of battery supply closer to the plant in Charleston
0: is that volume for charleston uh, for both volvo and polestar vehicles or is that just for volvo brand no,
1: vehicles no it's the combined then uh, of course we can always build more plants mm-hmm. so so uh, we have a growth strategy in us i'm responsible for for americas so it's 19 countries uh, and we try to maintain our logistic structure based on the regions that you i and i represent americas uh, and if you look at our growth plan in US, we are supposed to grow as much as we have growth, uh, growth the last five years. That's the same for the upcoming five years. It's, it's 100%. So deliver that volume. It's going to put pressure on logistics and it's going to put pressure on the whole kind of a value chain of, of our suppliers. So um probably if you and I, we have a meeting in two years, I would, I can mm-hmm. give you even more answers, but we are into this business to make money, mm-hmm. and to make money in this business, you need to have battery suppliers close to your plants because they are heavy. Mm-hmm. It's complicated to to transport the batteries, so um, we need to find a solution. Yeah. And I can I promise you, we have a solution. Okay. Yeah. Um, is is Northvolt going to be the exclusive
0: partner for Volvo cars going forward, or do you anticipate forming partnerships with with other? companies or even bringing it entirely in-house is that is that something you anticipate you know Volvo might do on their own
1: I would say we have a development uh, project together with Northvolt they are just not they are not just going to deliver our our batteries uh, for a part of our company so the short answer on your questions is that of course we need other partners Mm -hmm. to supply us Uh, and let's see who is going to be okay um, yeah,
0: during the, the um, I think it was during the Tech Moment day last year uh, is when the, you know, a lot of the, the discussion around the EV strategy was happening. There was some, some interesting things that were brought up. Uh, you know, not, uh, um, I think we talked about um, you know, the cell-to-pack architecture, which can obviously help a lot with energy density in the, the pack, and um, also utilizing iron phosphate batteries as, a, as another solution for some of the entry models is um, what you know? What do you see as a potential time frame for introducing some of those technologies? Is that you know, mid decade, the later part of the decade?
1: You know, uh, it's two answers. I'm a finance person, so so my first answer, as a kind of a, to, to be responsible for this business, is that we need to have competitive competitive solutions, and to be competitive, you need to have the newest technology based on best range cost weight yeah all of the things that is troublesome uh-huh. around electrification so to uh, be able to go to 100% electric 2030 we need to have the best solutions uh-huh. and um, I was at a the best answer uh, it goes fast and it goes fast because it's a lot of money into this industry and it's a lot of money into develop Batteries. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of money into finding the minerals. It's a lot of money into signing contracts that can deliver the volume that you have decided. And if you have decided, uh, the kind of a Volvo cars view into the future it's easier for us to sign the contracts because we have decided how many batteries we need.
0: Speaking of of minerals obviously in recent weeks we've seen some and and months we've seen some recent uh, some significant increases in the price at least in the spot price of some of those key minerals like nickel in particular has doubled in the last few weeks um, and and lithium prices are up I think uh, 5x over a year ago. Mm -hmm. Um, As as Volvo cars um, manage to lock in some long-term contracts for some of those materials or, or are you are you working to help develop new supplies of those materials
1: with working with partners for that but if this interview was 16 days ago i would probably give you one answer okay. and another answer today okay. so but it's not just minerals and uh, other ingredients that we need where the price is going up it's uh-huh. on food it's on gas it's everything yeah. so I think this will calm down a little bit uh, what we we have learned after or middle of COVID but at least of controllable COVID is that consumers change their behavior very very fast uh-huh. and um, I think that could help us and we're going to see a lot, a lot of changes in the value chain of what we need in, in the future. So yeah. it's just to make sure you are fast and you have good engineers, you have a good purchase department, and, and it's easier for them based on that we have decided. For us, it's not if it's decided. Mm-hmm. So it's 100% speed into the direction that we have decided.
0: Okay, uh, I want to come back to the topic of consumer behavior in a bit, but I've got a couple other questions first. Um, one of, one of the interesting changes over the last few years uh, for legacy automakers like Volvo uh, has been the shift in the attitude towards a lot of the electrification components. You know, if you go back a decade, um, you know most automakers did not consider that batteries needed to be a core competency. Um, most did not really consider motors, motor design and manufacturing, to be a core competency that they needed to develop. And that has really shifted. Um, you know, obviously you're you talked about batteries. Um, things like motors, power electronics are, are those areas that are being developed internally
1: by Volvo. Cars now. No, we took a decision uh, a couple of years ago, and now we have executed it. Is that all ICE development for our cars in the Volvo family is uh, sold or outsourced to another company? So our engineers they are 100% focused on electrification. It's easier if they are 100% focused, and that is how we are kind of a decided to solve the prioritizations that you have in a company mm-hmm. when you have two. Solutions and two of I would say engineer skills, and they. This is not a fight between them, but we have decided the direction that we would like to go, and then we will buy the ICE and hybrid solutions for from the group uh, that we are included in. And I think that's uh, right. Well, that's a good, good, good approach. I think.
0: Okay. What? Um, what so does that mean that uh, components like motors you'll be building internally rather than sourcing those from suppliers?
1: Yeah, let's see where we're going to land. First of all, the company, the engineers that we have, uh, I use the word moved over to to another company uh, where we we buy our our all our ICE components components, and also they are the ones that is developing and buying the the hybrid batteries for our hybrids. It's it's run by them, and they know what we need, and they of course uh, take care of the other brands in our our, our company. Okay. Um, one of the, the big
0: changes uh, across a number of Volvo models over the last uh, couple of years has been the the transition to the Android Automotive infotainment system. And I know Volvo worked very closely with with Google to implement that. Uh, you were the Volvo Cars was the you know, along with Polestar were the first brands to bring that to market. Um, last year during that that tech moment day, uh, there was a lot of discussion about bringing software development in-house doing more of that internally, uh, having more of it done by Volvo engineers um, do you think that that will be um, think that that will include partnerships like the one with Google uh, and potentially with with other partners um, or do you see longer term um, some of that work that you work, let let Google do bringing that back internally as part of that that effort to internalize software development within the company
1: it's not a question in one question so Steve, <laughs> yeah. if I can yeah. answer that. first of all uh, we have decided to to uh, set up and develop our own software company in stockholm we announced that last week mm-hmm. uh, it's going to be a, b- a big operation at least from a swedish uh, point of view it's, it's 900 colleagues that's going to be based in stockholm so we can fight with other high-tech companies in sweden we have a, a lot of them as you know mm-hmm. uh, it's easier to find the spearheaded talents and they will of course work with our our development center that we have here in california so to answer your question, we will of course develop things that is, and solutions that is linked to our central computer approach. That is one of our strongest statements in our new cars. At the same time, it's very, very important to be a good customer to our partners. So, and I think if you, maybe I should ask you to have a meeting with Google and ask them why they, why they like Volvo <laughs> and why NVIDIA like Volvo and why Luminar likes Volvo. Mm-hmm. Our engineers, they are um, they're good to work with. They are good listeners. Uh, we try to do a good job so the plug and play processes based on our, the technology that we have developed and their technology is easier and they can work together in, in a smoother way. Mm-hmm. And I think then it's easier for our partners to find the, the best people uh, in their companies because people that like each other work better together. And I think that is one of Volvo Car's success factors. Okay. You mentioned
0: earlier um, you know, that the, all of the ICE development has been shifted to this new company within the larger group, ULE group. Um, is Are the, the current SPA and, and CMA platforms that Volvo uses for its models, are they the last that will incorporate support for ICE? Yeah. Okay, so they, they'll, they'll, I assume they'll continue to evolve over the next five, six, seven years at least, or towards the end of the decade, but then everything new coming out forward will be exclusively battery electric? Yes. Okay, great. Alright, so back to the the topic of uh, the last question uh, related to um, customer behavior. Um, One of the shifts that we've seen over the past year um, in part driven by the the effects of supply shortages uh, has been, particularly here in North America, has been a shift towards um, factory ordering. Traditionally, American customers have uh, have tended to go to a dealer, buy out of their their inventory and drive off the same day. Um, And A lot of companies are reporting getting a lot more factory orders now. Um, and of course, you know, I think the premium brands, European premium brands like Volvo has had probably a higher percentage of that over the years. Um, and, you know, I think through the Care by Volvo program, I think you probably had a fairly high percentage of that. Do you see that continuing to accelerate? And, you know, do you see, do you see a shift for the way that your dealers In North America, operate in the coming years. Um, You know, is it is it going to be more primarily factory ordering as opposed to buying from inventory?
1: I think it's yes and no. If you if you ask me what I want and what is best for us, it's of course to plan Mm -hmm. Uh, our infrastructure. It's by far leaner and and um, it's easier to plan the plants and easier to negotiate with our suppliers, so so yes if you ask me, that would be great but I've been responsible for Europe Middle East and Africa and Sweden before where you have, you know, 100% custom order, uh, at least 95 it's um, not always good either so, so it's, it's good to have a mix uh, and right now I think we are a 35 or 40% customer order uh, and that is uh, the, by far the highest in the history of all the cars in, in, in North America but I also think that in the, in the future uh, at least what we plan for is that we're going to have cars in US we would like to have them into our ports keep them there and then we promise our dealers that we will deliver cars to them extremely fast with local uh, logistic local hubs uh, closer to to all our dealers we have 218 US uh, to make sure that we don't put a stock out there that gives the brand an unhealthy situation and how how uh, dealers uh, behave around pricing and so on but at the same time I would like to use their entrepreneur skills you know we need them uh, we need each other. So uh, let's see where this is going to land. Uh, we have decided we're going to do it together, but we will also learn from from the last two years That is, sometimes it's better to have less cars than the month.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: All right. Well, thank you
0: so much for your time, Anders. Thank you. Pleasure to chat with you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sam.
3: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. I also
0: spoke with Christina Vasandani, who is the uh, senior uh, product manager at Volvo about uh, the new Android automotive infotainment system that they are rolling out into all of their vehicles. Uh, they've already got it in several of them now, and it's going to be coming out across the board over the next uh, few months. All right, Christina, um, you are the uh, <laughs> let's start with what uh, your your title, your your role with the company Volvo. Uh, I'm senior product manager for Cross car line Technologies and Accessories. Okay, so get, we're driving the, uh, the new C40 Recharge today, uh, first uh, electric-only, battery electric-only model from Volvo. Uh, but obviously, it shares a lot with the XC40 and, and also the Polestar 2. Um, one of the, the big, one of the big changes that Volvo has done over the last couple of years is. Being the, I think the first automaker to roll out Android Automotive and Google Automotive services, and have that really deep integration with Google in your infotainment system, what was what was the, the rationale for for Volvo to go in that direction, to go away from uh, a, an in-house built, purpose-built system to uh, working with an open-source platform like that?
3: Mm-hmm. That's correct. We were the first to introduce Google built-in as. Uh, uh, broader company, Volvo Car Group, and, and this was when we looked at uh, developing the next generation infotainment system into our cars. We we really looked to who was best out there. Um, and we do find that having uh, a partnership as we have with Google really allows us to bring the, the best technology into our cars. And also, in that partnership, we're able to uh, enhance and build out our services over time. So with Android um, Automotive in our cars, Uh, when the customer drives off the lot, that's no longer the time when the car is at its best. We're able to deliver uh, new software to the cars over the air so that we continuously enhance the current functionality. We can even bring in new features over time to the car. So it's it's really providing uh, that great platform and foundation together with Google uh, and then, of course, it's Google. So it's it's something very familiar to our customers with best-in-class voice um, control and also best-in-class
1: navigation.
0: Yeah, uh, the the voice control in particular. I mean, you know, for for every automaker, they have <laughs> known the pain over the last almost 20 years now with voice recognition systems of complaints from customers about. Trying to uh, use these systems because they were always very limited. You had to know, use the exact vocabulary yeah. that the systems were capable of understanding, um, and you know there were reasons for that. They didn't have much power. What? Um, you know, how does connectivity and, and leveraging Google really help now with with this system?
3: I want to say the main benefit with Google Assistant in the car is that Google Assistant supports natural speech. So you simply activate Google by saying, hey Google, uh, okay Google, or you can press uh, the button on the steering wheel or microphone on the HMI, various ways, but you can just speak naturally. So you can say, hey Google, sing me happy birthday, for example. It it really allows you uh, much more flexibility. You don't have to memorize certain phrases or commands to control in-car functionality. It's very easy to use.
0: And if you happen to be an Android user, I guess uh, I know know, at home uh, we've got uh, some Google Assistant enabled devices in the house. Uh, If you log into your Google account with those, once you've trained it to recognize your voice, it can distinguish different voices, right? And, and does it do that in the car as well? If you, uh, For example, if you and your partner each use the car and you have your own profiles on there, can it, will it recognize who's asking the question?
3: That's a good question. Um, uh, I would have to come back to the actual recognizing different voices. However, in the car, if you have multiple drivers in the hu- household, you... We recommend that everybody creates their own profile in the car for the best experience. So, for example, I have my own profile with my preferences tied to my key, and then um, my husband has his own profile in the car, and that's a great way uh, with his Google account connected. So, those are some great ways to really create that more personalized experience.
0: And, and, you know, we've obviously we've had uh, Android Auto and Apple CarPlay in vehicles, including Volvo vehicles, for a number of years now. Um, and those always relied on having your phone uh, be connected to the vehicle, and the apps were actually running on the phone. Um, now that you have this system, apps are downloaded directly from the Google Play Store into the into the vehicle. Yeah. Is, is that Correct. correct. And, and, and who manages the what apps are available? Is that something done by Volvo, or is it Google, or is it a, a combination of the two? partnership?
3: It's actually the, the apps that are available in the Google Play Store. It's really managed by third parties. Uh, so the great benefit is it's not a small set of apps that, you know, Volvo has. Uh, approved for automotive use this is really an open market where third-party app developers can release uh, and create apps for for automotive use in, in Google Play Store so this open up opens up a lot of opportunity in terms of the availability of the, the entertainment and music um, apps that are out there. And even ChargePoint, for example, has an app within the Google Play Store where our customers can conveniently connect their account and and use it to pay for charging, for example.
2: And
0: of course, uh, the the Google services are actually also tied into vehicle controls, right? So it's not just telling it where to navigate you or what to play, but you can also control other aspects of the vehicle. Is that correct? Yeah,
3: that's correct. So uh, it really allows you to keep your eyes on the road, your hands on the steering wheel. Um, Google Assistant can control the climate settings in the car, uh, heated steering wheel, heated seats. Um, you can make phone calls, texts.
0: Yeah. And what about for for charging? You know, for planning a road trip, for example, uh, you know, if you know that you're going to go somewhere, drive somewhere beyond the range of, of the car, um, have have you as Google or, or Volvo integrated that you know, uh, plan, trip planning into Google Maps in the system, uh, yeah. so that you can know where to charge?
3: And I'm going to say that's one of the the real benefits with having uh, Google Maps native in the C40 recharge and also the xc 40 recharge. Um, it's great when you're talking planning on taking that longer road trip, you need know that you may need to make a charging stop. So Google Maps can help you plan that out in a convenient way um, so that you know that, you know, after X amount of miles, I'm going to stop here, I'm going to charge. Maybe it's lunchtime, uh, have time to have lunch and then continue your journey. But it's also a great way to even control and keep an eye on your State of charge as you're taking a shorter trip. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you need to make a stop, Google will um, help you find available charging stations. Uh, you
0: know, one of the, the challenges for people buying EVs that aren't from a certain uh, company called Tesla uh, <laughs> is has been charging, you know, and, and finding and, and paying for charging, and re- reliability of charging networks. I know. Some automakers are, you know, are doing aggregation of multiple charging networks and incorporating that into the, into their infotainment system. What, uh, you know, Volvo just today, in fact, as we, uh, as we're talking, announced a partnership with Starbucks to roll out some, uh, a pilot to roll out some chargers at Starbucks locations. What other sorts of things is Volvo doing to, uh, try to make the, the charging experience more seamless, less more friction-free for owners?
3: Yeah. Uh, first of all is the care offer, uh, which provides our customers with uh, 250 kilowatt hours of, of charging credits with Electrify America within their network. And after that um, is used up, um, they our customers will have access to reduced uh, special rates with Electrify America. We also have a <coughs> partnership with Points. With so together, those two partnerships provides our customers with a lot of opportunity um, in the public network of charging. But we also know that the majority of our customers will have some sort of charging solution at home, um, whether that is via just that regular outlet or via our wall box uh, solution together with uh, ChargePoint. Um, that together will provide our customers with very, very good options. But we're continuously working to look for to expand.
0: Okay. One, one other uh, topic related to Google. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people out there who perhaps don't trust Google uh, you know, in terms of their, their data. And obviously there's you know, a lot of data going back and forth between the vehicle and all you know, those servers and Google servers. How, um, how do you respond to people who say, I d-, you know, maybe I don't want to use Google services you know, or I don't want to share my driving data with Google. Um, what, what has Volvo done to address some of those concerns?
3: Yeah. So using google in the car is not necessarily any different from using google on your phone you can decide what you want to to share and and part of the sign-in process with google you accept terms and conditions and you can um yourself sort of set what you want to share um in the car Uh, google maps and google assistant are also fully or I should say you can still use them without signing into Google. It's not going to be that same level of personalized experience, but they can still be used for navigating uh, and so on.
0: Okay. So, if you're if you happen to be an iPhone user and right now you don't have CarPlay support, but that's coming in a few months time, I think. Correct. But, so if you're if you're an iPhone user and you prefer using you know, Apple services in general, you can still use the built-in Google Maps without sharing any of that data yeah. with, with Google. Aside Correct. from just, you know, obviously they need to know where it is you want to go to give you a route, but yeah. but they don't they don't necessarily know it's tied it's not tied to you as an individual. Correct. Okay. Great. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And, uh, it's uh, it's been it's been a real pleasure driving this car today. You know, and. Uh, um, I like what you, you know. What Volvo's been doing with the technology.
3: It's important to see what's hear. coming, Thank coming you so in much. the future.
0: Next up, at the uh, Chicago Auto Show in February, I spoke with Steve Gehring, who is the Executive Director of Safety Regulations and Policy for Hyundai Motor America. Um, this was following the announcement of a uh, new expansion at their Hyundai America Technical Center uh, here uh, just outside of Ann Arbor, Michigan. All right, I'm talking with Steve Garing uh, from Hyundai, and um, yesterday uh, Hyundai announced uh, a big expansion for the Hyundai America Technical Center uh, in Ann Arbor, uh, commonly known as Hatchy. Um, and uh, tell, first of all, give, give me an overview of the new uh, safety, uh, the safety, safety testing and investigation lab. Yes, like yeah. So, so what, what's, what, what's that all about, and, and what are you doing there?
4: So uh, thanks a lot, Sam. It's great to be with you here today and the Safety Test and Inspection Lab is really giving us a safety opportunity at Hyundai um, and leveraging our safety activity here in in the United States. So um, as we were um, kind of increasing our safety office here in the United States, we saw an opportunity to really increase our functionality and our ability to actually investigate here specific safety items that that arise in the United States and give an ability to understand how vehicles are performing. Um, So when we started to think about where to locate this. We have an engineering facility, as you well know, in Superior Township, Michigan. And we said, what better place to increase our uh, safety engineering expertise than in southeastern Michigan, where we have access to um, North America's best safety engineers and then automotive engineers so we located it there and we're going to have physical lab space right to be able to look at electronics issues uh, be able to have ability to tear down uh, vehicles to understand how they're performing when issues and questions arise uh, particularly in the area of safety and we are also increasing uh, our footprint there to actually do physical um, uh, drive experiences too right with a vehicle dynamics pad, uh, and be able to, to test vehicles and we're seeing the emergence of a lot of crash avoidance systems here that you know it's on the floor here today at the Chicago Auto Show and we want to make sure that we have an ability to assess how they're performing particularly when questions come up. Um, you know, we work very closely uh, with, with NHTSA on various items and it's good to have first account information as we're dealing with them to be able to answer questions that come up and if there's safety concerns with them for us to take the right action. You know, in a timely manner. So this lab is going to increase our ability to really understand emerging safety issues and improve the safety of our vehicles. So it's re- It's something that um, Brian Latufu is our chief safety officer. We've really worked together here to strategize how do we become even better in safety, and we see this as a really terrific tool uh, to be able to to do that. And again, we're going back to the southeastern Michigan part of the United States because really that is where our engineering expertise here is in North America to be able to, to do that really well. So you know, we're really excited about this additional capacity and this opportunity. Uh,
0: yeah, and Hyundai Hyundai Motor Group across the, the three brands uh, you know, has really been one of the companies that has, has been pushing to make a lot of driver advanced driver data systems and VEDAS systems as standard equipment across their entire lineup. Um, so it sounds like are going to be doing more uh, and, and you've got some, some really impressive capabilities, even on you know, relatively entry-level vehicles like the Elantra and the, and the Accent. Um, are you going to be doing more of that engineering work on those systems uh, out of Hatchie, um, as, as, or at least uh, doing primary development, or, or just tuning them to the, the needs of the, the American market?
4: We're going to be able to really give the company a lot of insight of how those systems are operating here. And there'll be certainly tuning opportunities as well. You know, our main engineering facilities, our home room, if you will, is certainly, um, you know, based in Korea. But that doesn't mean we don't have engineering capacity and and, um, ability to impact designs here in the United States. So there's going to be tuning and more engineering opportunities here moving forward to us. Because, as you're saying, we're getting more and more, you know, the the great thing about um, so many of our products is, as you said, the standard safety features in them. So this will really give us an ability to further tune those and develop them to provide the right um, um, mixture of not only safety but you know some convenience as well for consumers in their driving task.
0: So uh, you mentioned one of the things there being a vehicle dynamics pad. Um, Would that be something that would be utilized for, uh, for example, uh, doing avoidance testing? You know, evaluating the uh, perception systems and and capabilities of, of, of these systems, both of New system, new new products, but also uh, reevaluating some of the products that are out in the field today sure
4: sure as we're getting new products here into the United States and um, as we're producing new vehicles here in the United states this and and we have various testing um, um, Organizations, whether it's be IHS, whether it be NHTSA, or whether it be consumer reports, and even for our own purposes to really understand, okay, here's what we've produced here. It's coming out of, of our various plants. Um, you know, Is it performing the way we want it to see it? So it gives us a lot of ability to do that. And as you said, when there's um, questions of, of for performance in the field, it gives us you know, access 24-7 to be able to uh, get a hold of vehicles and test them. So that's really gonna be not only to impact future product, product that's coming out, and products in the, in that are in the field, any questions or um, concerns that come up we are gonna be able to uh, address them and really understand them and work with our partners uh, around the globe from an engineering standpoint, particularly in, in, in Korea as well, to understand you know what does this mean for us, what does it mean for other markets potentially, so we can really make sure our safety systems are providing the best measure of safety possible. So how, how
0: big an investment is Hyundai making in the facility, and, and how many jobs are you going to be adding there?
4: That's Yeah, that's great. So, you know, we started out, it was going to be a relatively smaller number, and, and as the, uh, yesterday's announcement indicates, it's going to be a $50 million announcement. And that's just to start, which is really uh, exciting for us um, to get the facility built, up and going, and operational. So that's going to be an exciting um uh, opportunity for us and it's going to impact as many as 150 jobs, you know, to start with to be able to staff that facility with the right engineering um, uh, expertise to, uh, to to make it operational. So it's a big investment for us at Hyundai and I think it's a great opportunity for folks in,
0: um, in Michigan and,
4: and that are interested in automotive uh, engineering here in the United States.
0: So uh, are you going to be, uh, is this going to require, um, uh, is, will this fit within the existing footprint That Hachi has, or you're going to have to acquire some more land to uh, provide for this space?
4: Yeah, so uh, when Hachi was created, the uh, creators of of the Hachi facility were very strategic with uh, future growth in mind. So we're able to use our existing footprint um, and acreage that's there at the facility. So we're not in a position where we have to buy additional land. We're able to um, work with the community and, and, and grow our footprint on the existing land so we have a lot of open acreage there that we're going to use uh, working with uh, the township to do that. So it's not an additional uh, investment in property. We already have the property. We're going to be able to expand and integrate our new facility into the existing Hachi facilities uh, to work um, all together there at that one facility from an engineering standpoint.
0: And um, when is this going to start operations? So we're going to uh, break ground
4: here um, you know, in the coming months, I believe, and uh, it's going to take us a while, but we believe by the end of 2023, which is a, just a little over a year from now, we're going to be operational and being able to use that. We hope it's going to be sooner, but that's the goal is to be, you know, by the end of 2023, be operational, up and going, and providing value to the company and our customers.
0: Well, it's great to hear because, you know, even with all the advances that have been made, uh, in ADAS and, and making it more ubiquitous across, you know, high volume products, um, there are still a lot of challenges with it. Uh, you know, a lot of testing has been done by, uh, agencies like IHS, um, Euro NCAP, in Europe, AAA, uh, you know, and, you know, with, we've added things like automatic emergency braking to a lot of vehicles, uh, and it helps, uh, but, you know, it's not as, I think, as effective as some people would like, especially in things like low light conditions. So um, we'll, you know, hopefully, you know, are those the sorts of things that, that they, the, the new facility will help to uh, provide uh, capabilities to improve on that that uh, performance? Yes,
4: yes, it will. So we know that, you know, the existing suite of uh, pressure windings features are, are provide a great impact. They're effective in the field. Can they be better? Certainly they can. We've seen whether safety systems, whether they be seat belts, braking systems, as Sam, as you well understand, um, airbags get better and better over time. The same thing with crash avoidance systems. We're gonna see these sensors get more integrated, be more capable and provide even greater service to um, customers uh, and to road users, whether they be pedestrians or cyclists on the road. So definitely we're at just the beginning here of making our sensors and uh, crash wind systems even more capable and this facility will help us do that as well.
5: All right.
0: Any uh, final thoughts about what uh, Hyundai is doing that you'd like to share? Yeah, I think
4: um, I've been in the industry, Sam, as, as, as long as you have and I've seen a lot of change in it. It's exciting to be at, at Hyundai. We're growing our market share company is really resonating, and its products are resonating with consumers with terrific designs, terrific value, and most importantly, you know, for me, is terrific suite of standard safety systems. So it's really uh, exciting to see a company be able to design and build and execute, provide good quality vehicles, and uh, it's great to be with Hyundai and, uh, and seeing increasing market share. So great to be here and great to be with you, here with you today. All right. Well,
0: Hyundai's doing some great stuff, you know, both for consumer vehicles as well as through the, the joint venture that you have with Aptiv or Emotional, um, getting ready to launch robo-taxi services with that. So good luck, and, and uh, thanks for taking the time to talk today. Thanks, Sam. Great to be with you. All right. Also at the Chicago Show, I had a chat with Jason Turnbull, who is the marketing manager for the Ford F-150 Lightning, which will be going into production uh, in the next couple of weeks.
6: Okay, nice. So even closer than we are. Yep. Yeah.
0: All right. So, uh, Jason, you're the marketing manager for the F-150 Lightning. So, let's let's talk. Let's let's start off. I mean, first of all, yeah, the reception to this thing has been, I think, surprised everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, Certainly surprised me. And what, yeah, what's what's the current status of the program? You stopped taking reservations in December converting orders. How's that process working so far?
6: Yeah, so uh, so as you mentioned, demand is through the roof. And the key thing is that's a good problem to have. But the current process is December 6th, we actually stopped taking reservations. So we, we topped out about 200,000 200, 200, reservations. Right now, is we are actually inviting the first reservation holders to convert to an order. So starting January 6th, is we actually invited those first group of customers to actually Place an order, and those customers will be the first to take deliveries in the coming months.
0: Okay, and um, so far, you know, how's the conversion rate looking? You know, when you when you invite a uh, you know a reservation holder to convert to uh, to an order, um, you know. What's your conversion rate looking like at this point?
6: Yeah, we can't actually hear specifics, but what what, what we can tell you is, especially early on, people are really excited. So we're seeing a very, very high conversion rate right now. And it's more of the biggest issue is what to buy, you know, the platinum layer or XLP. But what we're seeing is everyone's pent-up demand. So as soon as they get the invite, they're actually basically converting to order that
0: hour. Mm -hmm. What about uh, in terms of the the split of um, vehicles, you know, uh, different trim levels, or, or particularly standard versus uh, extended range. Uh, you know, have, have you seen any surprises there, and what, what's that looking like? like? Are most people going extended?
6: Yeah, so for every F, F Lightning, we have a wide band because we have that commercial vehicle, that, that Pro Series. It, it's available both for fleet and retail. Uh, on the fleet side, obviously that Pro Series is, is, that, is that custom fit for, the, um, for that customer. On the retail side, is it's going to be predominantly longer range, that targeted 300 mile range, and then at launch, we're seeing that lariat trim to be that high volume configuration right
0: now, which kind of lines up pretty well with with conventional uh, the gas F series as well. That, that those mid trim levels, XLT lariat, correct, yeah, kind of the, the, the big take rates there. Um, what um, for on the the commercial side with the with the pro. Um, you, know, you, I think you know the 200,000 reservations that you talked about. That's just for consumers, right? That does not include the the commercial customers. Is that right?
6: Correct. We haven't broken it out though. Um, but but it's tens and tens of, 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 of thousands.
0: And um, from the the, I don't know if you, do, I mean, do you deal with the commercial side or is that yeah. Yeah. just the Ford Pro team? Yeah. So, um, on the commercial side, what kind of feedback have you gotten from the customers that? you know they normally buy uh, pickup trucks uh, about the, the Lightning Pro.
6: Yeah, so to develop the product, there's two critical things that, that, that we need we wanted our customers wanted is one is our base 230 range. We know 95% of our customers of, on the commercial and drive less than 170 miles. So we knew that 230 mile range was critical for us because you know you, you real-world kind of issues as well. And then at the same time is because We're trying to help them transition from gas to EV. We we want to make it as simple as possible. So we made a strategic choice to share the cab and share the bed length. So let's say they have a toolbox or a basically aftermarket system because they're going to water their crops. It's a plug and play. So they can have gas FM50s and they'll also have the lightning side-by-side utilizing those same aftermarket um, equipment as well.
0: And I think, you know, Ford's talked about, um, you know, with the, the commercial customers yeah. that, you know, a significant portion of those, uh, you know, they're, they're not all, you know, returned to depot every night. Yep. You know, a lot of times, you know, they have have people that they, they just take the vehicles home yep. and they charge it home. Yep. Do, you, do you have any sense of kind of what just, the split is going to be there between, um, you know, depot-based Vehicles versus uh, char- you know, charge at home vehicles.
6: Yeah, so uh, as you mentioned, we're going to target a wide bandwidth of those type of customers. But what's really cool about our four-pro charging solutions is we have those depot charging solutions. But at the same time, we have technology. So all those customers that are going to charge at home is when it's hooked up to the telematics, is they can charge at their house, and that and, and that company will pay back that customer automatically. So I don't have specifics on the mix, but we know because it's such going to be dependent on the state, who they are, do they live in an apartment, do they live in a house, you know, we're going to monitor that, but we
0: want to make sure
6: our um, our charging solutions cover all all those usages. And, you
0: know, Ford Pro last year acquired uh, a company called Electrify uh, to integrate what what they're doing into the the whole telematics platform. Um, How's how's that working? Is that going to be a part of how you manage uh, or how you help customers manage, you know, how much... Is being spent on charging, you know, for home charging as well as things that are going on at the the depot, managing, you know, when which vehicles are charging when, that sort of thing. Yeah. So
6: the key advantage for us is in for for charging is with that acquisition and then with our growing kind of footprint is what we what we found is all these fleets want to go electric, but hey, they need to talk to this this utility or they need to talk to this state or I'm not allowed to do this or they don't know what they need because I need to charge in six hours or 16 hours. So. The key thing is the Ford Pro um, charging solutions. It's almost consulting, so we will go in there and basically work through. Hey, how many uh, basically EVs that you want to purchase? What's the usage? How many charges do you need? Do you need two? Do you need thirteen? Depending on what it is, and we and we work side by side with them. And the key to that purchase with Electrify is the key thing is they have that expertise already, and we're basically building up on that.
0: Okay. On the, on the commercial side, uh, you know, one of the, the great features of this truck is that, you know, it has the capability of towing 10,000 pounds. Yep. Um, but, you know, there's also a challenge when you're towing, whether you're towing with a gas vehicle or, yeah. or, um, or an electric, it uses a lot more energy when you're towing. Yep. Um, and so range is going to decline substantially on the, on the EV. Have you What kind of feedback have you heard from customers or potential customers about the, uh, the, the, uh, the needs as far as towing goes? You know, what, or, you know, do, you, do you have any sense of what, what is the typical use case for, for truck yeah. F-150 owners that are towing? You know, are they often towing long distances or is it more you know, 100 to 150 mile distances that they tow? Yeah,
6: so what we say is we can't be pissed. So obviously right. it doesn't matter if it's diesel or gas or EV the more tow the more fuel economy or the range will hit on the lightning specifically we do see a lighter usage so if you're going to tow crazy weight frequently long distances at this point obviously just the time it takes to charge is not right but that's the key thing is we have all those different power choice options so as we make that transition um it doesn't matter if, 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 if you're going to go 10,000 or 2,000, we have a feature called intelligent range. So our goal is, no matter that degradation, you know what the temperature is, what's the grade of your route, how you're driving, is we want to tell you that real-world range before you leave the driveway. So if you're a commercial customer, hey, I have, an, I have a 130-mile loop, and I'm X charged. Can I, can I make it today? And then for the retail customer, I'm going on a road trip, and I'm towing something. Tell me where I need to stop. Don't get me on the highway, and then the range dramatically goes down. So that intelligent range is critical for us. And for and for lighting specifically, we we have a technology called onboard scales, too. So for hauling or, 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 or even how many people are in the vehicle, it recognizes that and actually impacts that into that real-world range calculation.
0: Yeah, the, the onboard scales are an interesting technology. I was actually just driving an F-150 last week, yeah. and uh, it had the onboard scale option and, you know, I, during the time I had it was when we had the big snowstorm in yeah. Michigan last week. And, uh, so I, I was trying out the onboard scales and the, the bed of the truck was full of snow and ice. Yeah. And showed I had about 400 pounds of really? snow and ice in the bed yeah. of the truck. So, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting to, to see that. And I think that's a, that's a really neat solution. Um, and, and you, were, you were giving an example last, we were talking last night at dinner, um, about, uh, you know, you, you, you've been driving one of these for, for a while now. Uh, and uh, you talked about uh, going to, to visit a friend yep. and, and how it, you made some charging decisions. Can you, can you give us that example?
6: Yeah, so we have a technology called Power Monitor. Power, power so that's our mapping tool. And what's really cool about that is it's hooked up, so we have the largest sh- charging network, the Blue Oval Charge Network. So you can say, hey, where I want to go, you know, two stops, three stops, as well as what the state of charge wants to be when you hit that destination. So it can automatically say, hey, we recommend this one and this one. And what I mentioned is most most routing is just get me to the destination with range, and that's it. Right? What, we, what we give the ability to our customers is to pick those sharding stations that, within the recommendation that, that makes sense, as well as I want to get to my destination with 40% state of charge. So it knows not just at my destination, but with 40% because it knows I have to go back. So we really work hard because... 80% or over 90% of customers are going to need an EV that purchased the Lightning. And the first thing that we want to make sure is a great experience is that road trip charging experience. That's that key kind of should I buy an EV or not. And we want to make that as, as, as simplest and seamless as possible.
0: Yeah, and, you know, charging has been uh, clearly an issue uh, with EVs, uh, you know. It, um, oh, that's one of the big concerns that consumers have for not adopting an ED yep. so far is availability of charging and time it takes to charge. Um, and uh, certainly since the debut of the Mach-E, you know, we've seen a lot of reports from people, uh, you know, going to charging stations and finding them not functional or charging very slowly. Um, and, I know Ford's been doing some yep. some stuff around that, the, the Charge Angels program. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about how that's going and, and what yeah. kind of progress you're making? There? Yeah, that's
6: critical for us. because Obviously, it's that unknown as well as that pain point of showing up to a charger that shows available or shows a rate, and it's not actually hitting that charge rate. So we have Charge Angels that actually are driving around physically. We also are utilizing kind of crowdsourcing from reviews or Ford Pass reviews. And as soon as that we see, hey... This Electrify America charge station is, is supposed to pump out this charge rate and it's this. We work with those companies immediately. And then we have on-site technicians that, that they go and solve the problem. Because we know as the EEV charge station um, footprint grows, that's going to be critical. So every single day, we have people at Ford. That's all their job is to make sure that we optimize that experience. And when something goes wrong, is we have processing place to contact those
0: companies. As part of that, um, you know, are, are you relying entirely on the customers to report back, you know, what their experience was, or are you also doing some automatic telemetry? Yeah. You know, these vehicles are all connected. You know what the rate of charges and, you know, where it's being charged. Right, yeah, so
6: it's, 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 it's combination. So we have over-the-air updates. We have telematics. So we know, let's say there's a charging call, or let's say we know your VIN. We... We know where you've been charging and if there's any issues. So proactively, we have the cloud that can t- tell us that. At the same time, is we basically use that crowdsourcing as well as saying, "Hey, it could be as basic as the the parking spot isn't big enough for my my vehicle." So a lot of that stuff you still need that crowdsourcing because there's the data that we get in the truck. But at the same time, we need that real world review as as well.
0: Uh, one of the unique. Um options that's available with this vehicle, at least unique to the North American market so far, um, is the uh, intelligent power backup system. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's that's something that, um, you know, I think potentially a significant number of customers might be interested in. Um, what kind of response are you seeing to that? Uh, I guess first, let's talk a little bit about, if you, if you can, about exactly how that system's going to work, you know, yep. uh, What you know, what... What a customer has to buy uh, in order to have that capability.
6: Yeah, so before I mention that, we have we have two technologies. We have the pro power Ford, which is outlets in the trucks. Separately, what you mentioned is we have the all new four hundred backup power. So what that means is through our through our eighty amp wall box, you can actually charge your vehicle and then reverse the DC power to power your home. For the customer who purchased the lightning, we are partnering with the largest solar panel company and in, installer in, 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 in the country, um, basically Sunrun. And they're going to white glove and walk through all of our customers a different option. So they'll be the primary installer. A customer can choose however they want, but but when they purchase it, we'll, we're working with Sunrun. So what's going to happen is a, a customer will, 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 will order a Lightning. They will then be contacted by Sunrun and say, hey, your Lightning is 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 estimated delivered." In a couple months, do you want to start the setup now? Yes. Sunrun will go on site, so it depends on what the customer needs. If they just want the, to, the wall box to, to plug in, they can do that. If they want the backup power, they can do that. So in that in that in the, in that scenario, Sunrun will walk through. Hey, here's the wall box. You have your electric outlet. You're going to need an inverter and a transfer switch, and then a dark safe basic battery to be able to get the power goes out to have them communicate and it really depends on the house so we don't have pricing right now because it could be a modern house old house you need to do wiring you know from the garage or not but but we'll hold our customers hands through that process because we know it's such a cool technology and all these all these customers that want to do it we want to make sure that if they want it we are helping along the way to make sure that they understand exactly what uh, basically what they need
0: yeah i mean obviously the the cost uh, of that is going to vary depending on what kind of service the customer has yeah. in their house, but yeah. um, just for that, the the transfer switch, the inverter, and that, that backup battery, do you have a sense of, you know, or at least a range of what the cost of that hardware would be, you know, aside from the installation?
6: Yeah, so we haven't uh, we haven't um, announced pricing on that yet, but we, we can tell you it's pretty similar to you know the home backup generator kind of benchmark, say
0: okay. in the industry. Okay. Um, what what about uh, availability? When is that going to be available like, from day one when you start shipping? Yeah, so uh, our lightning to customers.
6: Our goal is the wall box is obviously with the with extended the range battery um, variant. It will be delivered before you take delivery, so that allows yeah. Sunrun to, if they want it to be installed before taking delivery, they can do that. So yes, it's, it will be available at, at launch.
0: Do you do you have a sense of you know kind of what percentage of customers uh, have expressed interest in? Uh, having that option? So we know the
6: vast majority want to do that technology. We don't have the bis- exact bis- um, forecast of how many people will, 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 will end up doing it because costs, do they actually go through the purchase of the Lightning itself and all that kind of stuff? But as we, we're we going to learn a lot the first year in market, and then we'll basically take those learning t- to make sure we optimize the customer um,
5: experience.
0: Um, so you know, I think one, one question that uh, received from a, a podcast listener about this is... Um, is, does this work exclusively with the Sunrun system, or uh, you know, if, you, if a customer already has um, you know, a, a backup generator and transfer switch, can they integrate this with, with hardware from other vendors?
6: So at this time, it really depends on the vendor, but what I can say is we co-develop the Pacific inverter for the Lightning with Sunrun. So we have a proprietary in, 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 in inverter. Okay. To your point, we're not saying, hey, you can't use this and that. We're setting up the system to utilize ours because we know it's going to work. It's going to be under warranty, and and then we know, you know, basically we can provide support for it. But we're not saying you can't use something. We just it's so new, you know, we're still learning day after day.
0: Okay. Would would that uh, potentially uh, maybe require a software update to the truck to enable it to work with hardware from other vendors? Yeah. So
6: I can't answer that. I'm okay. not quite sure on that.
0: Okay. All right. Um. Let's see. Um. What else? And um, as far as the avail- availability of the Lightning, that's still targeted for, for the spring? Yep, we're on,
6: we are on track for track On, on schedule for yep. that?
0: Okay, great. Um, anything else that uh, we haven't talked about that uh, people should be thinking about if they're thinking about an electric truck?
6: I, I think the great thing with the Lightning is it does all the truck stuff in tow, haul, it's big, it's big cab, it's mega power front. So all those truck customers, it's going to be able to do it and more. And what we found in our reservation data is 76% of all reservation holders are new to Ford. So we really think this is going to attract not just and that's similar customer. to
0: mach the mach Correct, right. yeah. yeah.
6: So we really think, when we talk to customers, they go, I've never driven a truck. I've never driven an EV, but I've always been on the fence and I want to drive an EV. This is pushing those customers over the edge. So we're really excited to see, one, we're targeting, and from the demand that we're seeing, it's all across the, the U.S. It's not just coastal, it's not just truck market, but we're really excited to... Use this vehicle to people that are never purchasing this brand to, to basically get them inside this Ford, this Ford brand. I
0: think you mentioned earlier, ninety percent of reservation holders are new to EVs. Correct. yes. And seventy-six percent are new to Ford. Um, you know, are are, you know, are those customers coming from other trucks or from non-truck vehicles?
6: Yeah. So we'll, what basically the the data we have is a little under half. Have a truck in the household. It doesn't, matter, it, 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 it doesn't mean um, what they drive. So what we predominantly see is it's a wide range. There's trucks, there's SUVs, and then also just hey, I drive a '94 Ford Focus, and I've been saving up, and this is my first new car purchase, and I want an EV, and, and I want a truck. So it's, it really is across the, across the bandwidth.
0: What about um, you know the, the other 24 percent you know that are currently Ford owners? Are they moving from a gas F-150 or Ranger or you know some some other F-series? To the lightning or from some other uh, vehicle. Yeah, ma- so majority of them are coming
6: from a from a pickup. Okay. So F one fifty or Super Duty or, or Ranger.
0: So the, the pick, pickup owners are the ones, the people that are already pickup owners are the yep. most interested yeah. in this, and then, yeah. and then a lot of potentially a lot of conquest yeah. uh, pickup customers. So potentially. Some, some growth in market share uh, with the launch of this. Definitely, game. I mean, this is the real deal. I mean, we're an electronic icon for the future. So we, this
6: isn't this play. We we think over time, year over year, our lightning volume is gonna grow and grow and become a huge, huge volume for us as well as to capture market share in it as well.
0: At least until you have more competition. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how those numbers shake out. It's, it's gonna be a very interesting next two, three years uh, in the truck market, you know, as, uh, as you start to get some some competition in this really important sector for the for the U.S. market at least. Yeah. Um, are, are there any plans to um, export the uh, the Lightning to other markets? I mean, obviously, aside from North America, you know, there's limited demand for full-size trucks except in places like uh, Middle East. Uh, are there any plans to export outside of North America? So
6: right now, what I can tell you is at launch, we're folks in the U.S. and Canada market right now. So that's so that's where the lightning will, will be sold today.
0: Okay. I, uh, that, okay. One one more thing. Um, you know, Canada obviously, you know, a lot of parts of Canada, you know, like Michigan and, and Wisconsin and Illinois, get some cold weather. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are are you seeing any difference in interest between the Canadian and U.S. markets?
6: So what we're seeing in cold weather climates is one, we're proactively kind of working with the customers. I mean, we really think that longer range variant. Will, will be more suitable because the cold weather does impact rain. So we're we're, we're really making sure the retail customers, especially in, in those cold weather states, understand the difference between a standard rain versus a extended rain, especially in those real-world, um, basically, weather environments.
0: And the Pro is available with the extended-range battery, correct? For fleet customers. Yeah, yes. for fleet yes. customers. Yep. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much, Jason. Thank great you to much. talk to you. Thanks. And for our final segment, I had an interview with Ari Grunfeld, who is the chief engineer for the Ford uh, Bronco Raptor. All right. I'm here with Ari Gruneveld, the chief engineer on the Ford Bronco Raptor. And um, so, Ari, what, what was the goal in developing this vehicle?
5: Yeah. So, actually, from a goal perspective, it was to achieve the Raptor DNA. And what we found is, as you look at the base program's capability, the base Bronco, we found that the rock crawling capability of that truck, and then adding the Raptor DNA, meaning high-speed desert running, we were able to accomplish both and take this into a different space, like the Ultra 4 that we were talking about just a few moments ago. So F-150 Raptor really was inspired by trophy trucks. This is a good balance between... Obviously, the high-speed desert, which it totally achieves, and extreme rock crawling. So we've lifted up everything on this truck. Okay. And that was our goal.
0: And let's let's go through some of the the changes from you know a, a top end of the current top end of the, the Bronco lineup. Yeah. I guess probably a wild track Well, Badlands or Badlands yeah. with yeah. a with the Sasquatch. What what gets you from that to a Raptor?
5: So um, there's quite a few changes that uh, you heard me talk about today. So um, we start off with the frame and we had to make reinforcements and make a stronger frame for desert durability type loads. We changed the shock towers in the front and rear of the vehicle to accommodate increased wheel travel. So wheel travel and suspension is really key to a Raptor's performance. So we made those changes. Um, So we have different um, shocks. We have the Fox live valve technology. Those are 3.1 inch shocks front and rear um, coupled with unique control arms to get the travel we get uh, 14 inches of travel in the rear 13 in the front Um, that's compared to the front of base program that's 60 percent more it's 40 percent more in the rear so you have the Fox Shock technology with internal bypass in their coilover shocks. And those have
0: remote reservoirs, right? Uh,
5: we have remote reservoirs in the back, piggyback reservoirs, and then in the front, it's integrated. That uh, that capability is integrated within the front shocks. Right, so
0: that, that that allows you to do more heat dissipation. Yeah, so they we got to
5: stand up on these shocks are very capable, and obviously yeah. we we test them. We test yeah. them in the desert. We test them through the grueling um, conditions and terrains.
0: And the 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 architecture of the suspension
5: is similar to what other Broncos have, but there's almost no common parts, are there? So um, the uh, the control arms are different, the shocks are different, some of the bushings are different. So um, and then again, the shock towers are different as well. So there's a lot of change to the suspension compared to uh, say a Badlands on a base program, and the capability is. Accentuated with the the Bronco Raptor, the speeds that you can go and the terrain that you can go over is uh, really impressive.
0: So, you know, let's say running across the desert, if somebody wanted to do something like a Baja, could the Bronco keep up with an F-150 Raptor?
5: Oh, great question. So, when we do our testing, we find that the F-150 Raptor and the Bronco Raptor they keep pace with each other. So, it's very comparable.
0: But then uh, when you get into you know, get into canyons and rock crawling, so, it sounds like the the Bronco would actually be able to leave the, the Raptor or the F-150 yeah. in the dust. Well,
5: I, I, I wouldn't say in the dust, but I will say that we've uh, with that Ultra Four inspiration, some of the content that we have on the the Bronco Raptor is um, specialized for that rock crawling. Um, uh, if, if the customer is going to go rock crawling, so whether it's the heavy duty skid plates. Which we have on the Bronco Raptor, or on the F 150 Raptor, um, but also like the rock rails that we have on it. We also have a uh, standard disconnectable front stay bar, so you won't find that on an F 150. Those are things that help give you the capability in the rocks.
0: And of course, you still have um, the, all the the other types of features that you'll find in other Broncos, uh, like the Trail Turn Assist. Yes, that's there. And the one-pedal uh,
5: driving. Yes. And things like that, the Trail y- Control. Yeah, and so we've added to that as well, though. So we've added the Baja mode for desert running and giving you the uh, maximum performance of the, in the desert. And we've also increased our trailer tow capability to 4,500 pounds, a thousand pounds more than the base Bronco, and added a tow haul mode as well.
0: So um, the the Baja mode, what does that change? What sorts of changes do you
5: get when you engage that? So we have the 3-liter twin-turbo EcoBoost, right? It's a proven engine. Um, What what you get with the Baja mode is opposed to if you're taking – if the customer decides to take their foot off the throttle as they're going through um, a certain terrain, what Baja mode is going to do is going to utilize this anti-lag technology, something that was previously reserved for, like, race cars, et cetera, and as opposed to dumping the tur- turbo boost right out waste gates, we're going to crack the throttle slightly. So you keep those turbos spinning and you keep the pressure there. Okay. So
0: it's going to be it, responsive as soon as you get oh back yeah, into it. It's, right. It's just going to keep right on going. Exactly. All right. Sound, sounds like that'll be a lot of fun. Yep. And you know th- this thing is uh, quite a bit wider than uh, other Broncos as well.
5: Yeah. So the width of this truck is pretty much the same as an F-150 Raptor. And you want that width for that stability when you're going in the desert and going over surfaces at high speed. So the axles are upgraded and the track width is increased. 8.2 inches in the front, 8.6 inches in the rear, wider than the base program. Okay.
0: But it's still it's still got a uh, really low crawl ratio.
5: Yeah, it hasn't sacrificed on uh, the ability to crawl rocks. Okay. Yeah.
0: And. Uh, only offering this with the 10-speed automatic, right? No That's manual transmission option with
5: the the 3-liter. No, we're not offering a manual transmission.
0: So um, I got to ask, you know, is is this the ultimate uh, version of the, the street legal Bronco that we're going to see in the, the foreseeable future, or well, it's got more stuff up more stuff up your sleeves?
5: Well, Ford Performance uh, is always. Uh, Looking at uh, different options, but right now we're really excited about this product. It's uh, really the top of the, the Bronco line, and uh, is delivering on the Raptor DNA that people are expecting.
0: Why no two-door version?
5: Well, we think the four-door with the wheelbase, as you're going through rugged terrain, and extra and, stability. Yeah, extra stability with the four-door. So it's four-door only.
0: Okay. Um, how. How's the uh, the ride quality compare? You know when you're driving it on the street, which is you know yeah. to be honest, what most people are gonna be doing most
5: of the time with this thing. Uh, you
0: know how how is it how is it to drive as a daily driver? Oh, it's great.
5: I can tell you, it's great. Um, I've driven the truck many times. I've driven it on road. I've driven it off road uh, at high speed, low speed, in both conditions, and it really is a pleasure to drive. And uh, if you get a chance to drive one. With our drive events, it really picks for you to to sit in the seat and drive it. Yeah, ho-
0: hopefully I will. I've, yeah. I've actually got a uh, Bronco Wildtrak uh, that I'm driving right now. It was just delivered on
5: Tuesday. Okay. And uh, looking forward to
0: spending some time with oh, it, yeah. playing with it this weekend. Yeah. So, awesome. Uh, um, really looking forward to trying this one out uh, uh, sometime later this summer.
5: Yeah, it, I think you'll be impressed.
0: <laughs> and when uh, when's this going to be available?
5: This summer. Okay. So this summer it's uh, going to be available. And uh, what about, is that's
0: not announced pricing yet? Have
5: uh, we have, actually. So oh, have base, base pricing is starting at around $69,995, including okay. destination and delivery. Okay, great. So that would be with a marine-grade vinyl interior, um, but it has all the functional bits of the leather interior, right? Mm-hmm. So um, all the function is there at the base price. All
0: right, great. Well, thank okay. you so much. All, all right. right,
5: thank you. All right, take care. Thanks.